The glory days are here to say the 80s horror show. Take a stroll down memory's lane, it's time to start the show. The gory days, the gory days, the gory days, the gory days. The gory days. Welcome to the gory days, the show where we take a stroll down memory slain to remember our favorite horror movies from the 1980s and early 1990s. When I started this podcast, I had no intention of doing critically acclaimed films because they have been done around the world. Every other podcast and their grandmother has done The Shining. I am going to try my hardest to never do The Shining because there have been documentaries on it. There's been documentaries on the movie that we're talking about today, Silence of the Lambs. But before we get into any of that, I want to introduce the horrible person that brought this movie into me. <laughs> he's looking at me like, and he's looking around the room like, oh my gosh, what have I done? What have I walked myself into? No worries, I'm totally kidding. The movie today is Silence of the Lambs, and I couldn't be happier because it's an amazing film, and I was racking my brain trying to remember where I saw it the first time, but my guest today is a person that I met out in the world. He's based here in LA, a writer. Maybe we'll find out if he's directed anything and where we can find more of his work. Please welcome to the show, Michael Batchelder. How you doing? Good. I'm great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I mentioned just a moment ago that we met at Trivia Night. Uh, yeah, Jay Hart's Trivia. Yeah, at um, uh, Idle Hour, the barrel bar uh, thing. Right? right, yeah. I've never been there before, but it's pretty cool, and I haven't yeah. been since. I feel like we did pretty good, but I don't think we... Maybe we got fourth, third, or fourth. Did we place? I, I think so. Okay. We are. We, we. I don't know. It, it's hard. I feel like we were dealing... I mean, it's all, it's all industry knowledge, and we're dealing with a crowd yeah. of movie experts, so um, it's, I, th- it's I thought we did pretty well. The yeah, questions yeah, got really so. hard. I know. Yeah. Um, very specific. And uh, I was uh, a Long Island iced tea in by the end, so... Oh, I don't, wow. Yeah, so I don't know if we placed or whatever, but the prizes... I was prizes, sticking with the beer. <laughs> <laughs> but the prizes, I think, were... Uh, I saw they had Ninjago on Blu-ray and things like that. Like, we're oh, yeah. adults. We're like... <laughs> Adults ideally trying to get in the yeah, industry. Exactly. I don't want I don't want a C rated Lego movie on my <laughs> on my uh, shelf. So Michael, uh, you're based here in L.A. Are you born and raised here? No, I am from Omaha, Nebraska. Oh. And, um, I'm actually wearing a Nebraska T-shirt. Oh, right represent. Now. Yeah. Is that the shape of the uh, state? It's the state. It's the for I guess for the viewers who aren't can't see this, which is everybody. Everybody. The it's listeners, not, not the viewers. Um, yeah, it's in the, I'm wearing a shirt, just kind of by coincidence. That oh, and it says, what is the shape camera? of a Nebraska that says home? That's awesome. Um, yeah, so I'm from Omaha, Nebraska, so it's... Um, and that's know, the capital, right? No, uh, Lincoln's the capital, oh, okay. but it, it's the biggest city. It's like 400,000, okay. so... Um, That's always weird. It always turns out that the capital isn't actually a giant metropolitan hub. It's just yeah, like exactly. a grandfathered in. Sorry, yeah. go ahead. Um, yeah, so I've been out here... I moved out here like a year and a half ago, so I um, lived in Omaha most of my life. Um, when, when we went to college there. Um, and were so, you doing writing there, or were you acting in like plays? What were you doing? I was writing. I wrote for a small town newspaper oh, cool. or um, sub- suburban newspaper. So there's the Omaha World Herald, and then they own um, Suburban News as well. Um, so I was writing their suburban division. So um, how did you get yeah. that? Did you have to submit and like uh, apply? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I wrote for the school paper in college, and um, so I had samples, so then I just submitted them, and that's that's how I got it. So are we talking like journalism? Like you'd have to go out and investigate why some kids were cheating on the SATs? It was, uh, yeah, I wouldn't I guess say, that's high school. Yeah, uh, I, I didn't really cover that. Um, we did, I guess we did some sort of investigatory articles. Um, I'm trying to think of what 
I'm I'm thinking of the articles I wrote in college, and I remember one was meatless Monday meets mixed reactions. <laughs> <laughs> Because the cafeteria didn't have meat on Monday, and I basically interviewed students about their thoughts on this. Um, did you come up with that headline, or was that... Yeah, I, okay. I did. I, I did. Yeah, I think I did for that one, because sometimes the editor will come up with that yeah. one. But uh, yeah, there's, so I got some alliteration in there. What was the newspaper called? Uh, the, so the college newspaper, I went to Creighton University, so it was called the Creightonian. Okay. And then um, the, the paper I worked for afterwards was... It, it was um, Suburban News Incorporated, but it was multiple. I wrote for like five different papers, basically. Okay. And is this something that people subscribed to, or did they just end up everywhere kind of thing? Um, yeah, you could subscribe to it, but we like pa- we passed. I mean, the, the, you could get them different places too. Like, I think you'd get them at Seven Eleven at the library or retirement homes. Or I mean, I feel like our, our we had an older crowd that read our articles for sure. So typically, um, yeah, older yeah, people yeah, exactly. Are older people still read the newspapers. So, um, but yeah, it was, I mean, it was it was great experience. Um, Is that but, still happening? Do you know? Are you still keeping up with your uh, cohorts back there? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm still friends with a lot of the people who wrote for the paper. I don't really pay attention to the news back there because it isn't i mean unless you're living in sarpy county nebraska it isn't super relevant Shout out. to me yeah um but i did write a script somewhat based on my experience so you oh I, about I being found that um, a college writer uh being um a just a newspaper writer after college so okay. yeah it definitely came back into play um so yeah but i mean i i, I was writing for a couple years there and then i was like you know, and I, I know I need to move to LA. Like, you know, I, okay. I need to. Um, you know, screenwriting is really what I want to do. So. And so, your family's back in uh, Nebraska. Yeah, they are. And mm-hmm. so, how did they react to you saying, "I want to go to LA, and it's time for me to take that plunge"? I, are they supportive? I, yeah, they were supportive. Okay. I, th- almost, I think they were probably surprised I didn't mention it sooner. Ah. Like they, they were probably like, they're probably like expecting it to happen any day. It's a scary, I was, vulnerable thing. Yeah, I mean, I have three older sisters. They all moved away for college and after college, so it wasn't like it wasn't like everyone in my family stayed in Omaha. So that it wasn't super. It wasn't really that new for them. So they're spread out too. Are they still in yeah. the states? Um, yes, they're all in the states. I, I had a sister who um, worked in Nigeria, Ethiopia, um, Ghana. So for humanitarian stuff, I hope. Yeah, for humanitarian <laughs> okay. stuff. Yeah, definitely. Not um, mining so, or fracking. Or no, anything. God, no. Yeah, it, it was for not, working for nonprofits. Um, so yeah, me moving to LA was like nothing. Sure. In comparison. Okay. So and what do they do? Your parents back in Nebraska? Um, they're retired now. Uh, my dad um, owned a, a printing company back there. So, cool. Um, yeah. So and um, my mom stayed at home. So did you ever get to do any creative writing for the newspaper, or did that kind of wait until you moved out here? Um, we would write editorials, um, but it wouldn't, we, I mean, we didn't really, I, I mean, I got to use sort of my creative writing skills, but that was basically on the side. Like sure. that was what I was doing. There's not many screenplays in newspapers these days. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> not definitely not. Okay. So you moved out to LA about a year and a half ago yes. while your sisters are all over the place, yeah. saving the world. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so you moved out here. Did you have a place? Did you have a job? Uh, no, I didn't. I had never been to LA before. Wow. Um, so yeah, I just uh, packed up basically everything. In you my didn't visit portfolio. beforehand. No, never visited. <laughs> I was oh like, my god! Because I was like, if I don't like it, then I'm gonna like. Reg- 
regret my decision. <laughs> and I'm like, whatever, I'm just going to drive out. I don't, I don't care. Oh, you um, drove? Wow. Yeah, I drove cross country and I was kind of like, oh, I was like, this is my chance to see America. So I stopped at some national parks like okay. Zion National Park. Um, my car died in the middle of the Nevada desert on a that sounds like a five degree day. Oh, yeah. It was like there were, I mean, luckily I was close enough to Vegas that, I mean, there were still some, there, it wasn't like completely in the middle of nowhere, but there was literally like sagebrush blowing by <laughs> as I'm just like in the middle of the desert. I just like, I, I couldn't, yeah. So I, I had on, or not on, sir, AAA. Okay. So luckily, yeah, I, um, uh, but yeah, this is, that was like, like, and that was my second flat tire, like, driving cross country that happened in the middle of nowhere that's pretty good to make it cross country well i uh not necessarily new york to la but it's still a huge half the country yeah 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 uh to only get two flat tires and your car break down once what were you driving if you don't mind me asking uh ford focus which i'm still driving okay reliable very reliable yeah it's 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 all right you had a lot it's kind of i feel like by la standards it's kind of a crappy car but i'm i'm just hoping that means it never gets stolen because it's just like There'll be a BMW next to it. I don't know. This is a bubble, too. Like, yeah. LA, especially <laughs> Beverly Hills. Like, the kinds of cars you see driving around, and uh, it's nuts. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I forgot what I was going to ask. I was going to Oh, ask sorry. I interrupted. <laughs> no worries. Uh, do you have any pets? Uh, <laughs> I, I, I have not with me. I mean, uh, uh, my parents have a dog, but I... I no pets. Um, I, I would like to get a dog sometime, or maybe a cat, but... Um, I, I don't know. I'm just not home enough. I remember so. now. We're tracing your chronology here. So you oh, moved yeah, yeah, out yeah, here. Yeah. You had no job. You had no house. Right. You you fixed your car. You came in yeah. here under cover of night. And what happened? Basically, um, yeah, I, I had a, my uh, mom's cousin lived nearby, like um, in Thousand Oaks. Okay. Um, so you had so family he here. was like, yeah, you can stay with us for a couple of months, which was definitely a big help. So. Yeah. Um, and I luckily found a job relatively quickly nice it was how long were you unemployed a month wow and and i know that that is like i mean that i I definitely lucked out because you know a lot of people are unemployed for a while but i luckily it was a it was my sister's friend from high school's friend that's how it happens so yeah it's kind of a distant connection but but that's that's crazy small world because your sister's friend from who knows where nebraska yeah nebraska yeah so yeah there there, yeah there there have been there are a couple i've met up with some other nebraskans in um la but oh cool i guess you got to stay close to yeah exactly (laughs) um so you got your uh living situation and where was that first job um, it's actually the company I'm still at. Oh, cool! Uh, it's a Smith and Co. They it's an unscripted TV company. So, um, they their biggest shows are American Ninja Warrior and Hell's Kitchen. Are they and, producing these or distributing? Um, they're producing. Them. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. Um, yeah. And, and so, so you've been there for about a year now. Uh, year and a half. So yeah, October of 2017 is when I started. Awesome. Yeah. But you want to be a writer. Yes, I do. So yeah, I'll, I do want to move into scripted soon. Do they? Oh, so unscripted. I imagine they don't take many scripted no. pi- uh, pitches from you. No. They, okay. they don't. Yeah, they don't take any. So okay, it's gotcha. just, I mean, I have pitched some unscripted ideas, but, um, yeah, I definitely want to get into scripted soon. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, uh, oh, what's the name of the place again? One more time. A Smith. It like uh, it's Arthur Smith and Co. Ah, A Smith. I don't know why yeah. I heard that as Ace Smith oh, the first yeah, time. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. 
unscripted. Mm-hmm. Very cool. So what do you like to write? You say you're a writer. What, what, what kind of genre? Or is it like, do you do TV shows? Do you do sketches? Do you do features? Um, Not I, to pigeonhole you, but these are the kinds of questions you yeah. know, people always ask. Um, I, I mean, I started off thinking I would do features, but then I have kind of leaned more into pilots lately. Mm-hmm. And um, I, yeah, more like hour-long dramas, kind of thriller-ish, okay. mystery-ish. Um, yeah, and I, I just turned in three scripts for the um, all the writing fellowships that ended last night. Oh, so nice. So I definitely... Uh, was like turning everything in at like ten thirty, so waiting. I, I, I honestly, I thought it'd be worse. I thought I'd be turning it in at like eleven fifty nine, like right at the due date. Um, but yeah, so I wrote, I wrote, I submitted two originals and a uh, spec script of Killing Eve. Oh, nice! So, great show if you haven't seen it. I haven't, but I've yeah, heard amazing things. Yeah. yeah, I watched the first like five minute, like that first opening scene where Eve is with the girl in the ice cream shop. Yeah, um, yeah, that was it. But I was like, oh, mm. I gotta watch more of this. Yeah, you gotta get back to it. It's just, I mean, you can watch it so quickly because all those British shows are like six or seven episodes a season. What were the other two that you submitted? Um, it was so I wrote a pilot. It was about a a con artist who basically goes into hiding in a cult in Alaska and write what you know. Yeah, exactly. Cause that, that's just, that's my background. So I just want, I just want to reflect my life. Um, that's cool. Yeah. So, and then she kind of gets, um, found by someone in the FBI who, instead of, you know, catching her, he was like, I want you to work with me, pretend you're a devoted follower, take down this cult leader. Um, and she has to basically pretend that she is a, Follow uh, like you know a devout follower while also kind of becoming a devout follower. And this is psychological thriller drama, not comedy. No, no, okay. not comedy. I, you could make it a comedy. <laughs> I feel like yeah, you, that would, but that would be yeah, that'd be taking another direction. And then the other script yeah. I wrote was a um, it um, was more based in my life because it was about a small town newspaper, a gay small oh, town newspaper one. reporter in Nebraska. I mean, I changed the names and everything. Um, but he basically, um, there's this explosion at this factory and, um, he wants to find out what happens and he ends up having a, um, uh, he ends up hooking up with the closeted billionaire who owns the factory. Oh my. Um, and he, yeah, so he's like, I need to use this relationship to my advantage. So it's a little like House of Cards, like, um... But I mean, definitely different, different location, different characters, different setting. Um, but that that was basically in tone that it's kind, of, it's a little bit similar. Okay. Um. So yeah, that was definitely based in reality. I I told a friend jokingly that it was based on my affair with the Nebraska billionaire running for governor, and he took it seriously. Oh, that didn't happen. It did not happen. <laughs> so I just want and anyone who reads it and hears that it's based in reality. The the writing for a newspaper part was based in reality, but not anything about the affair. The rest is historical right. fantasy. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I mean, if you, I mean, I, I don't know if you've seen the, so this billionaire runs for governor and the Nebraska, bill, the, the governor of Nebraska, who's just awful. In, I, was is, he caught in an airport? Is hideous. Uh, so I would never want to oh, okay. hook up with him. <laughs> so yeah. Um, just but, putting that out there. Yeah, just, just yeah. 
No, that's so that's, my, that's my pilot. <laughs> Very cool. So for people in the for listeners out there who don't understand um, how the process works, so you write a pilot, ideally hoping that they pick it up. Does that mean that you have ten episodes like drafted or an idea in your head? Because the dream is that they pick it up and it gets picked yeah. up into a show, um, and you'd be the showrunner. Yeah, that that is definitely the dream. Um, I, no, I I don't have I I have an idea of where the shows will go, a very rough outline, sure. but I don't. It's it's not that detailed. Like I, I did write out like a couple sentences for I said like ten episodes a season. Okay. Um. So I think I have a general idea. I can't. I mean, I have it written down. I don't know all the detail. I can't remember all the details of where I wanted to go off the top of my head. Um. But. Yeah, I, I have somewhat of a plan. Because I've always been curious about that. Obviously, TV and everything is a collaborative effort, but also the idea has to come ideally from one, maybe two, maybe three people. Yeah. Who uh, And so like Brooklyn Nine-Nine, I'll use it as, as an example. Hilarious show, uh, but uh, not but. And uh, the pilot, it, it starts, you know, they show you the status quo. They establish, yeah. like, here's what we're doing. And then by the end of it, they have character arcs where characters grow in a way that it's a cliffhanger. Where it's like, oh, yeah. is, is what they've learned going to stick? Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, season two is where, like, they come into their own. And so I've always wondered if that's mapped out from, like, pilot pitch one. is like, so this is what the show's about. And this is what we'll explore. Right. And this is where we want them to end. And then it turns into, you know something else once the staff writers get in uh or do they just come in with the idea and they're like i don't know where these characters are gonna go yeah. let's get 12 people to figure this out yeah I, I mean i would never go into a pitch meeting having no idea where it's gonna go like you should have some general idea and you also one of the things with my the cult pilot that i mentioned one of the problems i had earlier on was i was like maybe in the first episode um, now, now I have to back up and no explain problem. more of the um, plot. So, I love it. Um, she basically, it's like this woman who's on the run, but then she's like, her, her brother is in a cult, and she's, and I was like, the first, the, I originally had the pilot, like, she was just trying to find out where he was and get to the um, cult, but then you have to show what a typical episode will be like. Yeah. And a typical episode is she's already in the cult. And so you you can't it needs to and if she's just like looking for the cult then it's like nobody knows what to expect when they actually she actually gets to the cult so yeah. that's I was like it needs to begin with her arriving in the cult otherwise it's like kind of a waste I mean you can do that with a feature but you can't really do that with a pilot otherwise people don't know what to expect going forward especially with a high concept of quote unquote cult every one of us has an idea because yeah. of tv and movies yeah. but it's really important to establish what your idea of a cult yeah. is yeah definitely you can take a sip it's okay, okay. if you want to grab some water <laughs> <laughs> um so you you touched on something that uh, i want to talk about and let me know if uh you know it gets uh too personal and this is the kind of stuff you don't want to get out on the podcast okay. but uh, just like uh, speaking for my, I'll use my I statements. Speaking for myself, I feel a uh, comp- a responsibility to put forth positive gay incidental characters into the world. Yeah. That as a gay man, I feel a responsibility to make sure that if I'm putting pen to paper or finger to key, uh, that I'm representing myself and and other people in a positive light mm-hmm. and in a neutral light. Like I'm. Uh, and what I mean is to show them, like, you know, them being gay isn't going to save the day. Right, and it's exactly. not the most important part of their character. One show that I really admire is Special on Netflix, mm-hmm. uh, where the main character is a gay man with disabilities. And uh, it's just like, I, I would never 
ever write a character like that because mm-hmm. that's not at my experience. Like, yeah. I don't care how many people I interviewed and researched. I would never feel comfortable writing that. So uh, I wonder, like, if you feel that same kind of compulsion uh, to 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 present people uh, as as a writer recognizing that film and TV give us the rubric of what is normal in society. Uh, do you feel that responsibility or do you just write for fun? Do you just like writing? Um, <laughs> Am I thinking too much? <laughs> no, no, that, that is like, I'm afraid of writing a woman right. and you mentioned that. And yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, so I would say I am careful about it. And I, I would always like welcome other people's opinions. Like I'm in a writer's group and if they, you know, it's a diverse group. So if they had a problem with a certain character, I would definitely take that into consideration. Um, like if they misrepresented a, a gay white male, you would like raise your hand and go, that's not right. Or if somebody like, well, if, if someone said you're misrepresenting being a gay white male and it wasn't a gay white male, I'd be like, well, you don't know what you're talking yeah. about because I, this is my experience. That's what so, I mean. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I guess when I look at like um, the, my pilot off the record, for example, um, oh, is that its title? Yes, that I like is. That. Yeah, working. Yeah, yeah. It's the title for now. Cool. That could change, but um, I would say I do keep in mind that you know I would like to portray LGBT people positively, but also QI plus. Yes, uh, QIA yes, plus. Um, <laughs> There's so many letters now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but my, I mean, my character does bad things and is complicated and is kind of unethical. Um, because those are the characters that I like writing. I like writing complicated people who, you know, do the wrong thing, but, you know, maybe have the best intentions. So That's why I like six feet under. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, I, I would say I, I do keep that in mind, but I don't try to make all my gay characters, like, just, like, saints, basically. Yeah. Like, they can be fucked up. They too. can be flawed. Yeah, 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 flawed. And, in fact, that's more important is yeah. to show them as mm-hmm. real people. That's why I love Modern Family. The mm-hmm. the gay couple in Modern Family is the most tumultuous. Yeah, And they yeah. have fights all the mm-hmm. time because that's, that's reality. My yeah. fiancé and I fight all the time, and uh, I couldn't love him more. Mm-hmm. Um, so transitioning a little bit, what's your relationship with horror then? You've mentioned psychological thrillers and, uh, uh, these dramas, but, uh, horror, where did that come into play? Or does it? Um, (laughs) climbing up the wrong tree. I don't, I mean, I would say I'm more into thrillers, but then Mm. I, I, it's like, I also don't know, always know where the line is. I mean, I've, um, I mean, I, I, I like horror. Yeah, I I wouldn't say I am like the horror expert. I mean, I still have so. I mean, I, I would probably mention some some horror movies that I haven't seen, and you'd be like, "Oh my god, you haven't seen that? <laughs> That's totally How dare fine. you get out of here." Um, but yeah, I can put some arbitrary delineations. Uh, like yeah. as a kid, I told people I was like, "Oh yeah, I don't like horror horror. I like psychological horror." Yeah. And in my mind, my uh, uh reasoning was that uh, I don't like gore or jump out scares. Yeah. I don't like uh scenes that are orchestrated in such a way that. I am on the edge of my seat waiting for something to pop out behind yeah. a closet door. I like more of the cerebral horror of mm-hmm. like of sitting there and going like, oh my gosh, how could a person do that? How could someone be so desperate that they'd be willing to blank and like be yeah, wrestling yeah. with that? Mm-hmm. Um, that I found way more yeah. interesting as a kid. And it's probably because my mom was really into procedural crime dramas. Yeah. She loved Law and & Order and CSI mm-hmm. and... Uh, 
Criminal Minds and all of those. Yeah. Um, and she still watches those. Uh, some of them are still on. Law and Order SVU is still running. I know. Yeah. It's um, like, I don't 27 years. Yeah. Or and it's like funny. That. They've had to upgrade some of their plots to react, like with technology and stuff, mm-hmm. uh, with uh, smart cars and things. Yeah. Like they, they have to demonize it and make old people afraid of everything. Uh, sorry, mom. I didn't mean to call you old, but uh, <laughs> that's how I defined yeah. like psychological horror as opposed to uh, standard horror is there's like the gore and like it, there's just a there's tropes to it that they yeah. have to follow that psychological horror has its own tropes and so the movie that you brought uh silence of the lambs is a quintessential psychological horror yeah because mm-hmm. there's maybe one jump out scare and it's not is i wouldn't even call no there's no real like 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 surprise moments there's just a lot of tension yeah uh, definitely more tension yeah um yeah so i mean the scenes like I'm trying to think of if there was really a, a jump out scare scene. I'm trying to because it, it's, it's never like a total surprise. Like uh, I'm thinking of the moment when when he attacks um, the police officers. I guess yeah, that. But the, you know he's gonna do something, yeah. so it's not totally like someone just jumping out of nowhere. Like I, I think that's a scary scene. And then for sure when um, Clarice is in the basement, uh, Buffalo Bill's basement. Sure. That yeah, that's scary when he's like you know, reaching out his hand um, and, and, and all that. And to your point, it's not the kind of tension where you're waiting for a big release and then laughing and talking to your neighbors. Yeah. It's, it's a, like constant tension. Yeah. It's tension basically from the moment the, it, it begins to the moment it ends basically from the moment yeah. we see Hannibal. Uh, it's like 12 minutes in. Yeah. Um, and then from the moment we see Buffalo Bill, I feel like the tension heightens even more uh, of uh, him trying to get the woman in the his truck that first scene yeah. we see. Is that the first time we see him? Or do we um, see him in his uh, lair sewing? No. The, uh, oh, God. I watched this last night. I should remember. Because <laughs> we see him sewing, but we don't see his face. Yeah. And then we see him we, through night vision goggles i can't i, I think, think that one is first i think you're right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but um, um anyway we'll we'll save that for the next segment yeah. uh so um uh really quick though uh what's your relationship to this movie specifically did you watch it at a really young age or is it just one that is uh on your library of any favorite you could play in the middle of and watch all the way through um i i didn't watch it that early maybe late in high school or freshman year i really like got into movies fre- like freshman year high uh, college, I would just like rent like dozens of movies from the library and just watch them in my dorm. Um, and I, I can't remember exactly when I saw it. I remember always growing up, like knowing about it, yeah. seeing the references. Like I, I, I heard the references to like you know Buffalo Bill's dance mm-hmm. um, and like and the thing. Put the fucking lotion in the basket. Yeah, it puts the lotion scene. on the yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Is this movie's unique in that it's so referenced. It's yeah. so ubiquitous. Excuse me, ubiquitous. That I remember when I was studying like Roman history and Hannibal comes up, you know, yeah. like the guy who rode the elephants into. I was going to say Carth, but that's Game of Thrones. Carthage? <laughs> Carthage, thank yeah. you. Is that where he rode them? Did I really retain all of that? Hannibal uh, rode elephants? He rode elephants across the Alps. Wait, no. Carthage across is the- in Africa. Hold on. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know had, what I'm talking about. I think he crossed the Mediterranean like like sea with elephants, and that was a thing. Anyway, I remember reading that and like you know putting together like oh Hannibal yeah. and and uh, thinking that that character that 
person who existed in history was a cannibal and being so confused. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> that makes sense though. But it, it was referenced be. it was referenced in like Animaniacs, I wanna say. Like it was everywhere. Yeah. Uh and so it, it, it muddles my brain. Like there were references on I love the 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 nineties, I think, where mm-hmm. they were referenced fava beans and, and that stuff. So yeah. it's hard for me too to say when I watched it. I can't remember. Yeah. I I just wondered if you did. <laughs> um yeah I think it was early on um or I mean not early May eighteen or nineteen um, I just, I, I had seen the poster forever and I think it's one of the best movie posters ever. Um, just with the white the face and the moth on the it's perplexing. On, yeah, exactly. So, um, and it's just, I guess it's just one that I go back to. I think of certain things when I'm writing, like I, um, and I don't, I guess I don't know how much we'll get into later, but, sure, um, let's go for it. I, <laughs> I'll I, edit it out. I, I, it. I, okay, perfect. <laughs> um, like for for example, I I hate it when characters are just or like the protagonist is just like things seem too easy for them, and the whole time Clarice, you just can just see she's terrified and she's like struggling, and I just I'm like always I always want to make my characters go through just horrible situations and really struggle to get what they want, and um the, yeah, there's just uh, things like that that aren't even necessary. Like I I could be writing something that isn't even related to. Has nothing to do with Silence of the Lambs. I could still go back to certain things from that movie. That's interesting that you put it that way. Do you, uh, and the answer may be no, consider these characters like on the page? That's Clarice Starling, and it's nice to see Jodie Foster's portrayal of it. But obviously, this character came from the book. Is that how you, you know, there's an argument that they are one and the same at this point, that yeah. Jodie Foster is Clarice Starling. Basically. But. Uh, you know, like reading Harry Potter and watching the movies and going like, that's not who I pictured. Like, this is a fun mm-hmm. director's imagining, but it's not mine. Do you feel that, like, connection as a writer to what's on the page and the actor's job is nice, but it's the writer who really brought this to life? Um. Well, I haven't I haven't read the book. Um, Me neither. Okay. <laughs> I, I, heard, I, I, I need to read it sometime because I hear it's really good. I um, heard but Manhunter, or uh, Red Dragon, the first that's, one is great. Yeah, that's what I heard, too. I need, yeah, it's on my list. Um... I, w- I don't know. I think it's a, a a combination. I don't know if it's yeah. one more than the other. I mean, if Clarice hadn't... Like, I, I don't think, no matter how good an actor is, if the script is terrible, then, you know, the performance probably might not be memorable. That's but the there, there are also so many things, like, when... Because a lot of it is just close-ups of Clarice, and yeah. it's a lot that you can't really write. So it's just kind of her expressions and... Just and her delivery, her delivery, yeah. That um, so the the which takes it to the next level. So I just, it's a combination. I, I don't know if you can really separate it. In my experience, it's just been fascinating to watch that dance of like a sentence can be said so many different ways, a yeah. million different ways. Like even mm-hmm. the like, uh, I didn't see that there. Like I didn't see that there. I didn't see that there. I didn't mm-hmm. see that there. Like all of that, and yeah. that's not even playing into like okay, what emotions are we playing in uh, introducing here? So. The as a kid, I always just thought it was silly, like what actors do. Like they just they just go up there and they say they they pretend they're not uh, they pretend they're someone else. Yeah. But it's so much more of a responsibility mm-hmm. than that. It's taking these words on a page 
and words from a director and somehow communicating it into the product that they all want. Mm -hmm. And that's a huge responsibility. And some people, like, I don't think I could do that. I have a lot of respect for actors. Do you have any acting experience? I have improv experience. Um, And (laughs) the show isn't about me, but yes, I was acting all through high school. Okay. Never the lead, though. I was always Potiphar and um, uh, uh, Bob Cratchit. Never Ebenezer Scrooge. I I was even, yeah, I was even smaller characters. Oh, did you act? What, What were you at? Um... Yeah, I was in a musical in high school, and I have a terrible singing voice. I don't know why I thought being in a musical would be a good idea. The ensemble? Um, yeah, I no, I, I lip-synced through oh. all the performances. Cause You've milli-vanillied it. Basically, yeah, because um, when we would sing in practice, luckily I didn't have any solos, but when we would sing in practice, like, we, like 12, of, 12 of us would be singing, and the, um, the teacher, the, um, uh, the director would be like, all right, someone's out of tune. Who is that? And then I would <laughs> oh. lip sync the next, perf- the next song, and then be like, "All right, that's better." Oh. So I just I just lip synced for rest of the time. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I did have one line in a in the movie Forty Second Street. In the movie? Not the movie. The 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 um the Marion High School oh, okay. in Omaha performance, um, where I'm the janitor sweeping off stage, and the two people are talking on screen and. Um, one of the characters, it takes place in like the forties. So he's he's like, she's going to be a star someday. And I, (laughs) (laughs) that was pretty great. Yeah. (laughs) And I say that kid. And then they all turn to me and I say, sorry. And I just sweep off stage and and I brought down the house with that, that like those two lines. That was all I said. That's pretty great. Yeah. And that kind of like background scene color is what made that show. I'm sure. (laughs) Probably. Yeah. I was, I mean, in a way I was the star. All right, well, when we come back, we're going to be diving headfirst into all things Silence of the Lambs. More Michael Batchelder, more Silence of the Lambs here on The Gory Days when we come back. The Gory Days. Welcome back to The Gory Days. Michael Batchelder is here, and the movie we're talking about is uh, Silence of the Lambs. I have it written down in front of me. Um, so uh, I want to do a little uh, timeline of the history here. So it's originally based on a book. Thomas Harris writes uh, Red Dragon in 1981, introducing the world to Hannibal Lecter. Uh, the first film that gets made of it is Manhunter in 1986, directed by Michael Mann and starring Brian Cox, the first person to portray Hannibal Lecter on film, though they spelt his name L-E-C-K-T-O-R, Lecter, which I thought was interesting. Finally, in 1988, Thomas Harris, Thomas Harris follows up his uh, novel Red Dragon and his successful film Manhunter with Silent, The Silence of the Lambs, his sequel inspired by the real-life relationship between University of Washington criminology professor Robert Keppel and serial killer Ted Bundy. Uh, Bundy helped Keppel investigate the Green River serial killings in Washington. Now, have you seen the Netflix thing uh, about Ted Bundy? No, I haven't. Uh, it was super no, popular. Need, uh, yeah, the the tapes, right? Not yeah, the, the Ted Bundy um, tapes. I know there was a Zac Efron movie. As well. <laughs> yeah, not um, that one. But yeah, no, I need I need to listen to that because uh, yeah, I was just um, I was listening to a podcast about Silence of the Lambs recently that was oh. saying how um, it was unspooled. I don't know if you've heard it, but nope. it, they basically just watched like the AFI top 100 movies and they were like. How Ted Bundy unspooled? Being, yeah, unspooled. I should listen to that. Um, it's a good one, but, but yeah, they were talking about how Ted Bundy's capture was kind of in the. It happened close to the same time as 
uh, Silence of the Lambs coming out, and that's how it kind of helped stay in the zeitgeist, basically. For, I can imagine, because, yeah. Uh, yeah, the idea of a master serial killer genius uh, being utilized as a tool for law enforcement to catch other crazies yeah. uh, is really cool on paper. Yeah. Um, but really horrible in practice, because uh, as I know now from those tapes, Ted Bundy was a psychopath. Oh, yeah. There was nothing re- redeemable about him. I don't care how handsome he is. I don't mm-hmm. care you Twitter people out there wanting to sleep with Ted Bundy. He's dead, and for good reason. He was a monster. But if nothing else, he inspired this amazing story yeah, exactly. of The Silence of the Lambs. It was interesting. because So he wasn't all bad. <laughs> that's that's something interesting is like if if evil inspires like a creative endeavor that later like enhances society yeah then like is does it balance out <laughs> he killed people probably not no no I, i'm not just wanting the record that i'm not pro ted bundy four lives <laughs> is equal to five academy awards that's how it equals yeah, that's out. a good trade-off <laughs> um so 1988 uh silence of the lambs comes out and jack crawford in fact the uh fbi agent that's Clarice's uh, boss was based on real life FBI special agent John Edward Douglas, who actually worked with Scott Glenn, the actor who played Jack Crawford in the movie Mm -hmm. uh, on his portrayal of a behavioral sciences unit uh, person. Um, Douglas, at the time of the film's release, was in the midst of working with Ted Bundy to try to catch the Green River. So Mm -hmm. like you just said, it was uh, very prevalent on people's mind. Um, especially important at a time when there was no real internet to to advertise yeah. these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. It was uh, just the newspaper, and it sounds like it was just kind of a happy accident. No one could have planned the marketing to coincide with uh, a murder investigation. Yeah, back yeah, then. definitely. Do, do you think they did? Actually, now that I think about it, do, that do, sounds so um, evil. <laughs> maybe, I mean, maybe. Oh, no, I don't think they did. But, no. but um, I actually didn't know that about... Um, the the backstory, so that's really interesting. Oh yeah, I found that interesting because it's such a wild idea. Like, talk to this psychopath; he'll give you insight into another psychopath. So it sounds it sounds fictional, but it's like I mean, it's, but something it's real about life. it also sounds timeless. Uh, yeah, like there seems there's something allegorical about going to someone that can think like evil to yeah. catch evil. But yeah. isn't evil like the blacklist is a show that uh, with uh, James Spader where mm-hmm. they basically did the same thing where he's a yeah. like a psycho that they use. Um, so it's become its own trope. And I'm wondering yeah. if this was the, the birth of it or if that had been a thing before. Like I have to imagine maybe even like uh, ancient Greece. There was a crazy person that was yeah. helping the, the, the authorities catch other crazies. Anyway, in November of 1987, Ted Talley was brought on to write the adaptation. Ted Talley, who uh, later went on to write Red Dragon and Mission to Mars and Shrek 2 and Madagascar. Shrek, wow. Okay. Same dude wrote this movie and won the Academy Award for Best Adapted Screenplay. Uh, he also well, he won definitely versatile. Yeah, he won uh, that. He won the Writers Guild of America Award, the Chicago Film Critics Award, and the Edgar Award for uh, Mist- from Mystery Writers of America. So... I'm not going to keep reading these accolades. This was an amazing movie. If you haven't seen it, shame on you. It's a quintessential psychological mm-hmm. horror. And the only uh, the only movie deemed a horror in the horror genre to ever win the Academy Award for Best Picture. Mm-hmm. Movies have been nominated since uh, Get Out, most notably. But uh, this is the only one in history to be a horror and win Best Picture. Now I don't I don't know what it would take for a horror movie to to win Best Picture. It would have to be something like Get Out, yeah. where the horror is almost incidental to the 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 like societal story. I'm not sure. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know if No Country for Old Men would be considered horror. I from from the top of my memory, that's like I feel like that's the closest it's that they've tense. they've gotten to um, another horror movie winning. Yeah. Um, but but I mean, it didn't like Silent Slam didn't just like it swept the Academy Awards. Like the, I think it was one of the only movies where like the top five awards: best actor, best director. Um, Best best picture, best actress. Oh, you know, they, they won, won it was all the, the third, top five. It was the third film in the history of the Oscars, even to this day, to sweep the top five major awards, including best picture, best director, mm-hmm. best actor, best actress, and best adapted screenplay. Yeah. Uh, the only other two movies to do this was It Happened One Night, a movie in 1934 oh, I've right, never heard yeah. of. And One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest from 1975, starring mm-hmm. Jack Nicholson. No other movie since has has swept it. And uh, I feel like that's kind of... Uh, it's not indicative of a necessarily amazing film. Like, yes, it is. But also, it has to do with the context of what the other films were right. uh, 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 running against it. Yeah. Um, and so I didn't go into that. But uh, I did go into the movies that this had to compete with at the time. Okay. King Ralph, starring John Goodman, came out the next day after this. And Nothing But Trouble, starring John Candy and Chevy Chase, mm-hmm. were also some of the movies that it had to compete with. But it didn't matter. This movie released and wasn't immediately a hit. It was a sleeper hit. Yeah. Uh, which here in the industry means it didn't necessarily come out to critical acclaim. But it rose as it uh, went on. And immediately uh, and slowly, progressively gained uh, success in critical acclaim. Mm-hmm. Directed by Jonathan Dem and written by Ted Talley, like I said, this movie is distributed by Orion Pictures, who I haven't seen since, I mean, they're coming back now with the Child's Play remake uh, that comes out on June 21st. I'm very excited to see that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Orion, the only, like, I just remember the, the Family Guy joke of uh, Adam West flying up into the sky, running into Orion's belt, and it turning into the Orion logo and him saying, like, <laughs> I knew it. You're nothing but a failed production company. And they're more than that. They're a distrib- distribution company. <laughs> True. I, I, yeah, I, I don't. I thought they were like defunct. Like I thought they I were thought out so of business. Too. But but they're back. Apparently back. Okay. Cool. Yeah, they're back with Child's Play, starring um, Aubrey Plaza and Mark Hamill. Have you seen the stuff for that? The trailers for it? I had no idea that either of those act actors were in Aubrey, Child's Play. Have you seen the original, the 1988? No, I okay, haven't. no worries. <laughs> no, I, I have not. That was one of the ones that like I didn't see for a long time as a kid because okay. it was so scary. And yeah. Just the the image of Chucky of what he looked like, and then I learned that the the one that I was scared of was his uh, what he looks like in Bride of Chucky, where he's all stitched and he's got big chunks yeah, of him yeah. missing. But in the original, he's a normal doll. So oh, if okay. I had just watched that. that, yeah, I wouldn't have been as scared for that yeah. long. Uh, so last but not least, the movie stars Clarice. Uh, stars Clarice. The movie stars Jodie Foster. She's a fictional character. <laughs> yes, Clarice Starling does not uh, exist. Jodie Foster exists, and she portrays Clarice Starling so well mm. that it's like she's a real person. Yeah. Uh, Anthony Hopkins of place, of course, plays Doctor Hannibal Lecter, surpassing Brian Cox. Unfortunately, I didn't see that movie, but now when I think Hannibal Lecter, I think yeah. of Anthony Hopkins. Brian Cox is great though in Succession. If yeah. You seen that. yeah. Oh, he's great. He was. Yeah. Oh, oh, what was he in? Uh, uh, Troy. He was great in Troy. He plays oh, Agamemnon okay. in Troy. <laughs> uh, and uh, Ted Levine as Buffalo Bill, a.k.a. James Gum, uh, which he's barely in the movie, but he is freaking amazing in every scene yeah. that he's in. Um, and his voice, too, just like... I don't remember where they established it, but uh, that Buffalo Bill, like, as a crazy... As, as an actual psychotic man, like seems to regret what he's doing as he's doing yeah. it and it's a beautiful oh, it's so performance of uh his you look like you got something on your mind <laughs> no i was thinking of the line that i think is i, I laugh every time when he's like 
Oh, wait, was she a great big fat person? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why. It gets me every time. That's a pretty good impression. I think they did a Family Guy. Of the, I think I heard it first on, like, Family Guy. Family Guy's referenced yeah. this movie a lot. Well, yeah, yeah, multiple times. Yeah. I remember Chris, the, the when he's running for student council or whatever, and they play the embarrassing video of him reenacting oh, the, yeah, the, the tuck, yeah. Yeah, the, the dance, and that song, um, uh, Goodbye Horses, uh, which is such a fun song by Q Lazarus, mm-hmm. um, but I will I, never not think of this scene now. Yeah. Which I was amazed to find out was a cover. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I didn't know that either. I, I, the, I think the music in the movie is so good. Like There's there only like two or three... Two or three songs, but like the score is perfect. Yeah, music by Howard Shore, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, who listeners might recognize from other films that I did not go into uh, research to write down. So let's get into the movie really quick, and then we can talk about our themes and what we thought about it. The movie follows Clarice Starling, a young FBI trainee. I I don't know where I like in my mind. I thought she was an FBI agent. But she's she's a trainee. Yeah, she's just a student, which I kind of remembered, but I kind of forgot about. But it's so time. great because she carries that energy throughout the whole film of yeah. being unsure and mm-hmm. constantly like having an invisible eye on her because she's still uh, trying to graduate. Yeah, and that's yeah, the exactly. final scene as they're celebrating her getting her badge finally. Mm-hmm. So all of this movie, all the crazy things she's doing is as a trainee. She's not yeah. even a full FBI agent. Uh, uh, Clarice Starling seeks the advice of the imprisoned Dr. Hannibal Lecter, a brilliant psychiatrist and cannibalistic serial killer, to apprehend another serial killer known only as Buffalo Bill, who skins his female victims' corpses. So, in a nutshell, without spoiling anything, that's the Wikipedia synopsis, Mm -hmm. but in a long story short, Buffalo Bill kidnaps a senator's daughter, and that's where things get crazy because Hannibal escapes when he's transferred to Tennessee to meet the senator. It's this big to-do when the senator shows up at, like, an airplane hangar, Mm -hmm. and that's supposed to be the one meeting that Hannibal negotiated is that, like... Uh, yes, I know who took the senator's daughter, but I'll only give the full name directly to the senator. Yeah. Um, and that's, uh, long story short, he escapes from that situation because mm-hmm. he's not in the super max uh, underground prison that he was in for eight years. Yeah. He's in this Tennessee, like, it looks like they repurposed a like a dance hall or something. Yeah, it's like, it's like a birdcage in the middle yeah. of this room. I don't know how realistic it is, but it looks great. Yeah, it, it looks temporary, yeah. but still uh, beefy enough for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so finally, Clarice accidentally finds Buffalo Bill yeah. through her own research uh, and uh, the woman that she kidnapped, uh, Catherine, who was the senator's daughter. And Clarice kills Buffalo Bill. And that's how she gets uh, her medal. I was going to say, not medal, uh, her badge of FBI. And then the final twist ending is she gets a call from Hannibal Lecter mm-hmm. who who where is he he's been escaped yeah. we don't know where he is but he's chasing down the original uh like warden the doctor that was keeping him in that prison for eight years mm-hmm. Dr. Chilton in some like maybe Ecuadorian city or whatever and uh that's the story of Silence of the Lambs yeah so obviously yeah it skipped around a lot of things in there but uh you got the basics yeah 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 I just I don't like to to go like bit by bit yeah, yeah, but exactly. um yeah so i want to circle back to that first shot of uh buffalo bill where we see him with the night vision goggles mm-hmm. and those are like uh they literally don't come back until the very end and it's just this like chekhov's goggles that they plant in the beginning yeah. um but uh it's it's exactly uh ted bundy's tactic uh, where uh at least what i learned from the ted bundy tapes on netflix is ted bundy would show up uh 
with a cast, a fake cast, trying to get something cumbersome into his truck and would go to various women. Like there was this one music festival apparently where a lot of people ID'd him uh, as trying to get women into his truck to help him pack it up. And honestly, that's probably one of the earliest, scariest scenes to me mm-hmm. because of how quickly yeah. it happens and how real that is and, yeah. and how that probably happens every day or something similar to it where like, she was just coming home. She had her mm-hmm. groceries, yeah. and poof, she's gone, and no one knows. And she just vanished without a trace. Like that happens all the time. I bet. Yeah, and I I love that how they cut that scene with the Tom Petty song because it's just it's so good. How you know she's just so carefree, and then you know you it's see the goggles. Yeah, just, um, yeah. Hopefully someone. Uh, well, I don't know. I, guess I don't think I, so. I think the cat. Died. You think the cat died? I do. I do. But I she's think only gone. For, okay, how long? Cats can live like. I mean, you just can just leave food out for the... I don't know. <laughs> I've never really thought about this. I think that's I why like, she has the dog at the aw. end, because part of her knows her cat died, but she she wants an animal again. Maybe, uh, yeah, that's I don't know. True. That was my head cannon. Know. Hopefully she has... I don't know. It not, me, not the point, but yeah. It made me really sad, though, because I was like, oh my God, oh, that cat is yeah, going to die. No one's going to feed that cat. And that's, that's something that's so much like... Uh, so much sadder to me and I feel like it comes from a primal place of animals not understanding like what's what's happening to them like they the cat doesn't understand that that she got kidnapped she just thinks like well well she's not coming home and and it's just so sad that animals don't understand those things I bet the cat lived I bet it was able to get out of the window and like catch some mice I like your interpretation better um but yeah I mentioned earlier that this movie wastes no time in getting us to see Mm -hmm. Hannibal 12 minutes uh 12 and a half minutes we see Hannibal for the first time and he's only in four scenes in the well uh four scenes with clarice he might be in a couple without Mm -hmm. clarice like when he kills the police officers or in the ambulance but he is barely in this movie and he still won the academy award for for best actor Mm -hmm. uh which is pretty amazing uh Mm -hmm. i think um let's see i wrote down how much screen time he was in that's right with 24 minutes and 52 seconds of screen time anthony hopkins performance in this movie is the second shortest to ever win an academy award for best actor in a leading role the last one before that was david niven in separate tables a movie in 1958 uh he beat him at 23 minutes and 39 seconds so if you're out there wanting to uh, win the Academy Award for Best Actor in a Leading Role, but don't want to work that hard, 2339 is the number to beat. Yeah, I mean, that, that's definitely in, like, supporting actor range, but, I mean, he, he's, he, I, I think he definitely deserved lead. I mean, he's on the, sure. I he's mean, on some of the posters. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, you know, he's the, he was ranked, AFI ranked him, American Film Institute ranked him the top villain of all time. So Wow, I mean, over Darth Vader? Yeah, I think Darth Vader might have been second. Wow. The second or third. Because that's the first one that I think of, like, uh, uh, as far as, like, genocidal monsters. Yeah, yeah. Darth Vader. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, Hannibal Lecter hasn't had the treatment of, oh, wait, yes, he has. I was going to say Darth Vader is basically an anti-hero at this point. Like, we saw his story through the movies. And I was going to say, not so for Hannibal Lecter, but he had his TV show with Mads he Mikkelsen. Did. Yeah, it was really good. Yeah. Yeah, it ran for three seasons. Uh, and I heard it was great. I haven't mm-hmm. watched it, but I'm sure I'll find my way back yeah. there. But it that is a prequel, obviously, and follows his relationship with the detective in uh, Red Dragon uh, mm-hmm. that uh, Edward Norton portrayed in the movie. Uh, that's a fun one, too. Have you seen that? Red Dragon with um, uh, Edward Norton and oh Ray Fiennes. Oh, no, I don't... No, I haven't. Actually, you know, no, Silence of the... I mean, I've seen the show, and Silence of the Lambs is the only other 
Hannibal movie I've seen. Yeah, the movie Hannibal, the sequel to this, isn't that good. Yeah. I've seen it, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it's got some good visual effects, mm-hmm. but it definitely doesn't it, it doesn't get to the same cerebral level of this. Like when Clarice and Hannibal are talking to each other, I am hanging on every single yeah. word and every like nuance of both mm-hmm. of their performances. Clar- uh, Jodie Foster has such an uncanny way of showing like fake confidence. Of like portraying like, oh, I'm being confident, but behind all of it, you can see and feel her doubt and hesitancy, Mm -hmm. but still the pressure to have to hide all of that. Like those scenes where she's the only woman in a room with all of these men, um, and she still manages to stay stoic. Uh, She's she does such a good job Mm -hmm. in those performances. Yeah, Um, yeah. I I think one of the scariest or most disturbing things about Silence of the Lambs is just. The way he's able to like, just like, penetrate her defenses and get at the most vulnerable thing about a person almost immediately. Yeah, and um, and and he does the same thing with um the senator. He just says mm-hmm. the the absolute worst thing he could say to her, like just just despicable. Um, and he kind of does it in like a classy way, and because... I think that's kind of what people like. I I think everyone's kind of scared that someone's just gonna meet them and like, you know attack their weakest points it's like a shirt it's like a sherlock holmes style of undressing somebody with like like uh with just their appearance like Mm -hmm. they i've never met this person my entire life and they somehow know so much about me that they can yeah that they can undress me with my Mm -hmm. deepest fears or my insecurities um and i feel like it comes from he's not just a psychopath he's he's a he's a doctor He's a yeah. psychiatrist. He's a psychotherapist or uh, a psychiatrist or both, and apparently had tenure for years mm. uh, being a corrupt psychologist who apparently was eating some of his uh, patients. Um, and like that plays into like his wordplay and his 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 ability to come up with like uh, what are they anagrams uh, yeah, to yeah. to mess with mm-hmm. people or even not to mess with them to give them clues to so that they can reach their conclusions. Mm-hmm. He's it's it's terrifying because. Part of you wants to be him. Part of yeah, you wants exactly. to be that conniving and intelligent and know everything. But he's so evil. Yeah, you kind of want to be friends with him, but you're also scared of him at the same time. Maybe that's just me. I don't know. But because he's so I, I feel like I'm too. Like, yeah, I I want like I remember watching, um, especially with the uh, TV show. I was like, he was so classy. He cooked his beautiful meals. I was like, I want to cook like him. I wanted to like his office is beautiful. Uh, like every he's just. The most, the like, classiest guy in the world, and it's just like you just, I mean, you just can't look away from him because he's just, he's so enigmatic. So, yeah, and I mean, even knowing the things he did, it, I mean, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, I, I mean, it matters, but it's like you, you know, you still are, you still want to be him. And visually, they portray that in such a great way, where uh, Clarice is literally thrown into the lion's den with all of these crazies. They're literally crazies yeah. behind bars in these dark cells with like almost no light until she gets to the end of the hall where it's completely different. Yeah. It's bright. It's glass. Exactly. It's pristine. It's clean. And he's just standing there mm-hmm. in a white suit or in a white like prison jumper. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, it's just like this like it's not what anyone ever would have expected. And how could you not be curious? Yeah, exactly. And that's what Jack Crawford warns her. He's like, don't tell him anything personal because yeah, he runs with it. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I, there's just like so many layers when you rewatch it, like just yeah. the comparison between like going from Migs, the, the masturbating multiple guy, Migs. Oh, multiple Migs, yeah. Um, to 
Hannibal, that that contrast is just like insane. And so I love stark. how he he like finds that discourteous with uh, yeah. the other like other monsters. He's a yeah. monster too, but like he sees himself as better than them, and he's like, "Oh, I would never do that to you." And Clarice, I mean, that is pretty rude to like. It is know, it's extremely rude. It's <laughs> horrific. It's <laughs> terrific, and she yeah. honestly deals with it way better than I would expect. Yeah, no, I I would I would be yeah I'd be freaking Probably out. Probably like but... vomit. I don't know, <laughs> but yeah, and uh, uh, yeah, she runs back to him so. Mm. That he can tell her some cryptic thing. Yeah. Um, and it's great. Uh, the dead head moth down the throat thing seems bizarre. I wanted to bring that up because, like, mm. they try to make it this, this, I'm sure it's in the book, but they try to make it this uh, separate important thing. Like, Ted Levine's Buffalo Bill is an insane person yeah. who hates himself. And uh, Hannibal Lecter explains that he thinks that makes him a transvestite because he mm-hmm. hates his identity, so he must be transsexual. Sorry, not yeah. transvestite. Um, but obviously he's much, much worse than that, much yeah. more dangerous is what he explains. Um, but there's, uh, I forgot where I started this, but I'm going to, to change it into Clarice hates herself too. They established yeah. that, that yeah. they both have this identity hatred for mm-hmm. themselves where Buffalo Bill hates himself because he's psychotic. Uh, Clarice hates herself because she's white trash. Because, yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and that's what you were saying a second ago is that she, he's able to like pinpoint mm-hmm. this one thing that makes people most uncomfortable. And in Clarice's case, it's her heritage is yeah. that she came from West Virginia, which I guess is white trash. I Is West Virginia like really that backward? And Well, I mean, I it's, you know, it's, it's, Rural and poor. I mean, it's Appalachia, so yeah. I mean, okay. I, 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 I'm not, I'm not accusing West Virginia of being white trash at all, but like, uh, it, it has that reputation. Okay. Well, yeah, because uh, yeah, Clarice, she has that accent. Yeah. Uh, Jodie Foster obviously does. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, it's when she like uh, comes back to her car and cries about it that I was like, oh wow, yeah, yeah. she really does hate where she's from. And this whole FBI thing is her just running from yeah. her heritage and running from that barn in uh, Montana where she had the, the baby lamb. I would probably cry as soon as he started insulting me. I wouldn't make it out to the car. Like, she she is very strong for even having, like, a comeback. Like, can you turn that um, lens around on yourself? Yeah, and yeah. So, I mean, she's definitely, like, a force to be reckoned with. Because I think that's in response to him doing the accent. And, yeah, how yeah. It, you can mm-hmm. see how it, like, affects her. And I was interested to learn that that was improvised. That, was it really? Uh, oh, that, wow. That Anthony Hopkins and Clary, uh, and jo- Jodie Foster were performing that scene, and he had the line slipped into the accent, and her reaction is genuine. And afterward, like, uh, thanked him for offending her because yeah. it got such a good reaction. Mm-hmm. And I realized, God, actors are fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah. Like, you have to have something a little bit wrong with you to be a good actor. Like, the best actors Mm -hmm. can turn on anguish and then turn it back off like a light. And it's like that. There's something there. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, Buffalo Bill hunts like Ted Bundy, but he has a pit in his house. Uh, so Ted or um, uh, Buffalo Bill is actually a combination of uh, several real-life serial killers. Um, Let's see. I have that list here. Three real-life serial killers. Ed Gain, who uh, famously inspired the Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies, he he skinned his victims. And when they mm-hmm. caught him, uh, he had, uh, like, lampshades made from his victim's yeah. skin mm-hmm. and couch covers and stuff. So he's part that. He's part Ted Bundy, who used the cast and manipulated women with, like, his, you know, char- charisma 
uh, to get them into uh, compromising situations. And then the third, who I'd never heard of, was Gary Heidnick, who kept women he kidnapped in a pit in his basement. So that's oh, based in real life. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't. I knew um, Ed Gein and uh, Ted Bundy. I didn't know about the other guy. Yeah, Gary Heidnick, who oh, okay. I don't want to remember. Um, yeah, I don't want. I, like, there's some names out there. We talked about this on Candyman. How there are two kinds of people that get remembered for eternity: the truly great or the truly evil. Yeah. Um, and it's yeah. So like Martin Luther King will remember forever. We'll also remember Hitler. Right. Uh, and maybe that's a so history doesn't repeat repeat itself yeah. kind of thing lesson. I don't know. I'm getting on a tangent here. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I kind of want to read Gary's Wikipedia page after this. Over, though. <laughs> oh, yeah. You should go for it. That quid pro quo scene is so good. Mm-hmm. It's one of the best scenes in yeah. the entire movie where uh, it's, it's, it's Latin for like, I don't know what it directly translates to, but it's like, I say something, you say something. Yeah. Um, and it's like, I scratch your back, you scratch mine. So the quid pro quo scene is where Hannibal has all... He, does he know? How early does he know who Buffalo Bill is? From the beginning? Uh, yeah, I think from the beginning, because he was his... Um, p- because he was, he was his, his patient, doctor. So, That's right. Um, yeah, he, he knows the whole time. He just wants to bargain to get as much as he can. He wants to get out, so... Um, cause I, for some reason I was thinking at first, like he just likes to play these games, but it's like, no, he wants to get out of prison. So that's why he wants to, he can't give it all away. Yeah. Um, and he he's realized it bit by bit. Um, yeah. So he, he uses patience. That's part of the, I mean, that's the, re- the reason why they go to him. Basically. Yeah. And your explanation makes a lot of sense. The reason he's drip feeding this yeah. information and almost false information is because that is his one weapon to get yeah. out yeah. of he that prison. He's been in for- brilliantly. Yeah. And he's realized that, like, Dr. Chilton and Jack Crawford are dead ends. They're never going to do anything. This new person, Clarice, is this first new person he can play with. And that's ultimately, yeah, what gets him out of there. So that's that's a good point. I like that. Um, But the quid pro quo scene is where uh, we get the lamb story. So this movie's called Silence of the Lambs, and it sounds so bizarre. It's like it has nothing to do with lambs. You would think it was maybe a kid's movie uh, Mm. if you just read it on a marquee or something. Mm. But, uh, yeah, the the, the actual silencing of the lambs is a metaphor for uh, uh, Clarice quieting her... How do I communicate this? It's a metaphor for... uh, Clarice like maturing and and escaping yeah. like she's been running from this this metaphoric crying lamb for years and only after all of this like that's what Hannibal says have the lambs stopped crying yeah I mean she yeah she wants to save uh she I mean if she saves Catherine she the lambs will stop scre- she'll stop hearing the screaming because Catherine like, is the lamb past yeah yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, also, because I, th- I mean, I, when I'm writing dialogue, I was like, you know, transitions can be hard and trying to yeah. get from point A to point B, but I love when, I love the transition of, um, uh, uh, are you going to say what H- I think? Hannibal, like mentioning that there'll be turns on the island. Yes. And he's like, and it'll be turns for us too. It's like so good. It is. It is really good. Yeah. And it's, it's not as ham fisted. Yeah. 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 It's, yeah. it's great. Um, uh, so, so yeah, uh, when, when Clarice was a kid, she went to Montana because her dad died, mm-hmm. uh, from, I, I missed the line, but he was, he, he, her dad surprised some people that were robbing a convenience yeah, store. Yeah, so I assume he, he was And they shot, shot him, yeah. and then he died over the course of a month. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and so she had to move to Montana, and, uh, I guess I'll share this, it's kind of embarrassing, but in my head, I was sure, before rewatching this, that, 
the reason she left the farm and took the lamb or whatever wasn't because they were being slaughtered. It was because she was being molested. But no, that wasn't the movie. No, no. Um, that That is what um, Hannibal suggests that happened. That's right. Yeah. So he, he's like... Um, he's did guessing. Did he sodomize you? And yeah. she was like, no. Um, he was... A, he was a decent man. I, I can't do that. <laughs> I don't know. I, that wasn't a good. No, it's so funny. I, that was just a general generic Southern. No, one, no, no. When I was watching it and he does his accent, I was like, that sounds easy. I'll try. And I, mine always comes out as like Florida Panhandle. Oh, yeah. Whereas his is more like Savannah. I don't know. Yeah. 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 Um, um, but no, he, yeah. So it was just they were mad that she stole the lamb. But okay, honestly, that guy, he should have, like, what? He just is going to give her to foster care because. She's a little girl and wanted to save a lamb. Like he's he's a horrible person. Like yeah. I feel like that is kind of swept the rug. But like he's not a good guy. She's like he's a decent man, but like he's clearly not. If that was the straw that made her and send her, her she away, didn't run away. She she failed in running away. Yeah, and it's they like, bring yeah, him she's back. Young, it's and like, then she's sent away. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. It's like what like. Yeah, uh, so I was just like, Farmers. wow, he's, he's an asshole. <laughs> no, he really is. And despite it, she still still is able to be a good person. Yeah, exactly. She she overcomes her past. Um, I love that the senator deal was a fake, and that's how he's able to get uh, to that cage. Um, mm-hmm. I want to give a shout-out to those two cops that get their faces. Lieutenant Boyle gets beaten with a, a nightstick, and yeah. Sergeant Jim Pembry gets his face cut off. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a shame. I was watching this. I was rewatching it, and I wish I didn't remember what happened because yeah. the way they film it, there's two great moments in this movie where the the way the direction and the editing is done, it leads you to believe one thing, and then at the last moment, yeah. there's a big surprise. So the first one is uh, when uh, they find the two police officers, and Hannibal has escaped. The big twist is Hannibal was in the room the yeah. whole time. Mm. He was wearing one of the police officers' mm. faces, so and that's so freaking cool. And once again. Referenced in uh, the office when Dwight. I, I love that scene. I think that's one of the funniest office scenes. Where he's like, CPR. I, I didn't. Why did you have to cut the face off of the dummy? <laughs> I didn't think it was realistic in the movie. Turns out it's pretty realistic. <laughs> if, if a man has no arms and legs, should we even bother saving him? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what kind of life is that? <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so. Uh, it's it's amazing. The second one is um, the the big one where uh, Jack Crawford calls Clarice, or maybe it's the other way around. But they communicate that uh, Jack says, "We found him. Yeah, you're done. We'll take it from here." And uh, so we get these shots of Ted of um, uh, Buffalo Bill underground, and the police are surrounding his house. Mm-hmm. And there's the feather or feather. There's the flower guy walking up to the door, and he presses the doorbell. And as he's pressing the doorbell, concurrent is this like mechanism that he's worked in, so he can hear it down there. This yeah. bell, and so he starts freaking out, and he's putting his clothes on, and he's trying to shut Catherine up. The doorbell's ringing. Uh, he's trying to get there. The police are like, "All right, you're ready." He opens the door, and it's Clarice. I I love that scene. I think it's one of the best like best edited scenes I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, I I like always want to put a scene like that into like a, in one of my recent scripts. I was like, "Can I do that?" That's it, what it, I it's thought. Just, it's so cool. So, I want to write something like that. Um, is what yeah, I thought. Yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, e- easier said than done, but yeah, Definitely. Th- th- I remember seeing that for the first time and being blown away. Because like emotionally too, you're set up for this release. Like, okay, they're finally gonna catch him. It's yeah. gonna happen. Clarice has been written out for some reason, but they're gonna finally get him. Yeah, yeah. And then poof, the tension is so much higher than yeah, we expected, and it like gets even even higher as she, like you see her realize that it's him, and you see him realize that she yeah. knows it's him. And he, like, runs off into the kitchen, and he grabs that giant gun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, yeah, then they she goes down to the basement, and there's the night vision. He kills the breakers, and the night vision chase is so good. Mm. He's right in front of her, yeah. and it's pitch black, and he can't tell. And I wonder, like, how how realistic that is. Like, I feel like even in a pitch black room, if you had your hand here something would be able to tell me just like i can feel when someone enters a room yeah i don't know i think maybe there's some so much else like going on that yeah she's panicking you know um there's i mean so yeah it's understandable some some like the woman screaming um yeah, so I get it, and, and I think... Th- no, you're right, um, I'm picking holes. Yeah, I'm being No, yeah, I, I, think, I think it does work. I mean, yeah, I mean, just... And also, just because I feel like when... I, I have really no experience with guns, but it's like, she has the gun pointed at him, but, like, he sees that she's not ready to shoot it, which is why he runs off, so it's kind of like... You th- think, like, well, if he has the gun cocked, like, he would be able to shoot her. But it's also just, like, she, you know, she's trained for these scenarios, and she was ready then, so. It's also an um, interesting plot point that the kind of gun he has does not require to be pulled back. It's double oh, does action. It? Oh, yeah, I, I didn't read. know that. So I don't know if that's, like, a character thing of, like, he's just stupid and did that, and that's yeah. what caught him, or he didn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's apparently a common thing in movies is, like, 90% of guns are double action, which means you don't actually have to cock them back. Oh, okay. But it's such a cool thing to do in Movies, yeah, yeah, you know where you're like, and you pull the gun back. It's like, yeah, oh, yeah. he's serious. Mm-hmm. That's always the thing they do is they're holding the gun to your face. You're not gonna do it. Cock back. Oh, he's gonna do it. Yeah. Um. Uh. Yeah. So let's see. I think that's about everything. So I'd love to talk about some of these themes. We already touched on hating one's identity. Mm-hmm. Buffalo Bill and Clarice both hate who they are, but one of them is able to turn that into something positive, whereas someone the other one lets it destroy them and everyone around them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mentioned it earlier, uh, being thrown into the lion's den, but I like I, I wrote this down here, of being a lamb among lions, because mm-hmm. uh, that's literally what happens. Uh, occasionally, Clarice is shot from high angles, surrounded by men. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's it's this intentional way of showing, like, she is, like, she's the trainee here, even in this yeah. room of police officers. She's still below them, but has to, like, portray that, and she even condemns Jack for it later. Mm-hmm. When she's like, it matters. The other people in that room look yeah, to exactly. you and they to, to to how to act, and it matters. Uh, yeah, I don't know how sh- what the real height difference is, but they always just make her look like almost like childlike tiny. in comparison, just tiny compared to everyone else. And I, I think, yeah, I think it's really well done. And now, and so I wonder if that was in the script, or if that was a directorial choice, or if that's even in yeah, the book. Prob- I'm not sure. Probably, uh, maybe a direct, I'm sure a directorial choice. Sure. And then something else I noticed is that Jack Crawford and Hannibal both act as mentors to Clarice. Mm-hmm. Like, they're both giving yeah. her information. They both give her pieces of information before sending them into uh, situations. When Jack Crawford initially tells Clarice to go interview Hannibal, she doesn't tell him it has, or he doesn't tell her it has anything to do with Buffalo Bill. Yeah, yeah. It's just a questionnaire. Mm-hmm. And that's how she learns. Uh, yeah, so they're both giving her these uh, pieces of information. In the case of Hannibal, it's wordplay and riddles. Mm-hmm. In the case of Jack, it's just 
lack of information so that she can reach conclusions of her own, which is really the best kind of mentor. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, you don't want someone who's going to hold your hand and just like write the answers in for you. Mm-hmm. You want someone who's going to give you the tools to do it. But for Hannibal to assume a role as a mentor to Clarice, both like just from a man-woman perspective, but also from a law enforcement criminal perspective is a beautiful dance. Yeah. You can tell Clarice is kind of enticed by it too. Like she does admire him in a weird Mm -hmm. perverse way. Um, I think it's kind of interesting how, you know, usually you think villain antagonists are the same, but in this case, Hannibal's a villain, but he's not the antagonist. He, I mean, Buffalo Bill is the antagonist. It's, It's interesting that like this, notorious villain is like his real role is like helping the hero and yeah. i just think that's interesting structure wise yeah. it is interesting where the main like he's on the cover like, yeah. of a lot of times yeah so you posters. think he's the one that you know if you had never got, if you got gone in not knowing anything about this movie which is like i assume not most people know something about silence of lambs but yeah i'm sure when it came out they're like oh he must be the one that the, you might even catch. assume that yeah like i, I Actually, that would have been interesting. I didn't watch the trailers, but I wondered if they were edited in a way to make it seem like Hannibal was the one putting mm-hmm. women in pits and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Like, if you had never seen the movie and only heard it referenced, you might have think thought that Anthony Hopkins' Hannibal was the one that says it puts the lotion on its skin or else gets the hose again. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is another interesting thing. I didn't write that down, but the way he talks to uh, Catherine... It it puts the lotion on its skin. It does it when it, it does this whenever it's told. Yeah. And he always calls it he always calls her it and in the third person. And so in my mind it's 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 a response to the uh the mother that goes on the mm-hmm. TV and yeah. uses her name a lot and they're all like, That's so smart. She's humanizing yeah. uh uh her in the killer's mind. Is that how you interpreted it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think he is like a I don't even know if Buffalo Bill is a psychopath because or a sociopath because if he was truly a sociopath, it wouldn't matter if if she had a name. Yeah. But he can't. Uh, I mean, he he can't give her a name because w- then what he's gonna do is gonna be too hard. So like, he's clearly. I mean, he's clearly done awful things. But I don't know. I mean, you see that there's he. He's not without compassion. Yeah, he has a small sense of compassion he so it, it's interesting yeah he, he likes um yeah has his dog and it's like he, he needs to do this so it, it's interesting that he is still struggling with it it's not like he's just someone who is just doesn't doesn't think about it like it, it kind of you can see it's kind of torturing him yeah and you know, i think, hearing the screaming too yeah absolutely like he's crying like yeah he yeah. he he needs to do it because he thinks he hates himself he thinks he has yeah. to yeah and that's mm-hmm. the that's the real core of true psychosis um but yeah, you're right. He's not without compassion. And uh, I wonder, like, what what is, like, obviously he's a crazy person, but like, what is his end game? If he, if he was to do this, like, unhindered f- until he was able to make that suit, would he then walk out into the world in a woman's suit I like that? I would assume so. Yeah. I th- um... And obviously it wouldn't bring him the, the peace that he thinks, but no, that's what no, he's for sure. building um... toward. We see it in the corner at one point. Yeah, and it's I mean, pretty I, done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I I also forgot that you see the half done, like the suit almost done, with it, except for like missing an arm. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I would assume he would just walk out with it and realize he's not probably not getting the reception that he thought he would, or yeah, he exactly. feeling the way he thought he would. I, I was reading about this at the time because it was protested by a lot of uh, LGBT members. I love then. you brought this up. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Because it is controversial and i don't think it could be made today because it is 
I mean, they they do try to make it a point that he. I was is, surprised at that line. Yeah, they're like he he's not a true transsexual. Um, Transsexuals are passive. But in the that is kind of like <laughs> from from a 2019 standpoint that is also kind of offensive. But I think I don't I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think for nineteen ninety one they were trying to be um, progressive and Jonathan. Uh, Demi has gone, like gone on record saying like I apologize if oh. um, or he was like he wished he would have made the contrast clear that he wasn't they were weren't trying to portray a trans person negatively. That's the thing is that on paper it doesn't look good. It sounds really yeah problematic. yeah yeah exactly. But in context and watching the movie, they even explain. In my opinion, he is not a transsexual. He's not gay. Right. He's not an LGBTQ yeah. uh, person. He is a psychotic man yeah, who, yeah, exactly. through his psychosis, has confused himself into mm. believing he is a transsexual. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And in that way, actual transsexuals should not take offense. He is mm. a sick man. Um, and that's my opinion. Yeah. I could easily see an argument for how this is problematic and would take you know a lot of dumb people's perception of transsexuals way back in their mind. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure their perception wasn't good to begin with, but it, I don't think it helped. I don't know. I mean, I, do, I guess tough. I do think in that way maybe the movie is problematic, but I don't hear the – when I hear the term, like, problematic, I don't always think, like, oh, that means it's a, you know, it, it's a bad movie and it's horrible. It's just, like, you know, um, it's a – time. I don't know. I, I don't want to say, like, times are different, but – you know, you, I think you can recognize maybe I could see how that people could be offended by that. I could see how maybe that isn't great and still think that it's a brilliant movie with great characters and a, a great villain. I, I, and I do think that, I, I mean, I do, I, I do think the twist works really well. Like, that that's why he's building a suit. Um, Are you trying to decide of whether or not this movie should be canceled because of uh, its No, it, I, I will never let it be canceled. Well, because that's so. an interesting question is like, you know, Woody Allen movies. There are certain pieces of our media yeah. that are created by people that we've now learned are monsters. And yeah. so where is the line? Where, where do you burn all of this art that was created because it was made by a, a, a bad person or, or, you know, allowed them to do bad things. Yeah. And where do you separate that and go, mm -hmm. well, you know, th this movie didn't rape anyone. Like right. the movie itself still stands on its own and contributes in some way. I feel like it's just contextualizing it. Just like if you sit down at a Woody Allen movie, there should be a disclaimer at the beginning that says, just so you know, Woody Allen did this, 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 and this. Yeah. You decide mm -hmm. if he's a good person or not. Yeah. Story begins. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I, I do not think it should be canceled. I just think, you know, we need to go into these movies with an open mind and, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't think, I, I don't think. You know, you have to look at intention. I don't think the intention was to be if, uh, to. Um, I don't. I don't think they had ill intentions at, at, um, in any way. Um, I. I think they definitely tried to make it clear that this this person was just a psychotic serial killer, not not a me. member of identity of, of a particular identity. Yeah. Um, I mean, so he yeah. hates himself. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. That. And that's not. That's. I mean, uh, I was. <laughs> That actually like it, it plays more into it because a lot of uh, people who identify as transsexual, I imagine, go through a period of hating themselves. Yeah, and so like that. Mm, never mind. Maybe I'll just move on. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a, it's. I think it's a tricky subject.
Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't. I guess I don't know the answer, but I. No, I, I, I think it's. I think it comes down to the individual, um, and I think personally, it comes to, like to timing. Like if you enjoy uh, Louis C.K. and you watched all the Louis and you did this stuff, and then you learned that you know he's a times up person and me yeah. too and all of that, I feel like from the point you learned you can't watch anything else. But everything mm-hmm. before that point where you learned what a horrible person he was is still fair game. Because you didn't know. Nobody knew. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... I, That's just personally. I, I feel like I can still watch things made by horrible people and, I don't know, not not be that affected by it. I don't know, because... It just feels weird when I'm supporting them. Yeah, Because I don't want to support them. Yeah. Like, I can still watch a thing, but it's hard, especially now. Like, if I just owned a VHS and I watch it, I'm not giving someone money. But if I watch it on Netflix, I am supporting them. Yeah. And I I do just want to make it clear that, like, nobody, I mean, nobody, as far as I know, nobody who's made this movie has any, has had any, like. Oh, no. You know, I mean, I I don't feel bad supporting any person in this movie because. No one has been me too. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, Yeah. But yeah, it is, it is a. No, yeah, <laughs> I don't want. I hope. I, I hope wanna, never. Oh, hopefully, never. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I don't know. It is it is a tricky subject. I don't know. Um. I I guess you can sep- You just have to separate the art from the artist. But easier said than done. Yes. Uh, my final theme that I wrote here is that intelligence is power. That Hannibal's a genius, mm-hmm. and despite. Uh, Dr. Chilton's literal walls around him or the police's, uh, you know, like restraints and everything around him at no point in the movie. Does he not have power? Right. He always has Mm -hmm. all of the power, even when he's in a straight jacket and got a muzzle on and all of that. And it's so cool because at the bot, at the end of all of it, despite being in a super prison for eight years, he still is superior to Dr. Chilton and Dr. Yeah, Chilton exactly. hates him for mm. it and tries to kneel him in little ways. But, mm. but Hannibal is a genius and he has all the power and those in of themselves do not make a good person. Yeah. In fact, it makes, it can make a tar- terrible person Yeah, yeah exactly. in the case of uh, Hannibal Lecter. So that's the story of Hannibal uh, from Silence of the Lambs. The movie inspired a sequel called uh, Hannibal. It came out in 2001, a prequel, Red Dragon, and then the other prequel, Hannibal Rising, where they had definitely established him as an anti-hero before the uh, NBC show premiered on in 2013, ending in 2015. And then finally, there was a musical, Silence. There was. Oh, Silence, wow. the musical. It's an unauthorized uh, parody adaptation of the musical, but I would love to see that. Which one was the brain-eating... Have you seen the brain-eating scene? Maybe that's Hannibal. That's where, Hannibal, where okay, he's eating where Ray Liotta's... The, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where he's eating Ray mm-hmm. Liotta's brain. <laughs> yeah, that's at the end of Hannibal. He's cooking it, and then he feeds it to Ray Liotta. He oh, cooks right, his right, own right. brain okay. and feeds it to him. Yeah. So, uh, last thing we like to do on the Gory Days is we rate our film on a scale of one to five thumbs, one being the worst and five being the best, on, a, on any criteria you want. What'd you think of uh, Silence of the Lambs, Michael? Five. Five I mean, thumbs. I picked it because it was five <laughs> thumbs, but yes, five, five thumbs. Fantastic. Yeah. And uh, typically we award those five thumbs to characters in the movies. You can give all five to one person or you can split them up. Who are you awarding your five thumbs to? Um, I'm going to distribute it pretty evenly. Okay. Um, let's see. I'll give a thumb to Jodie Foster, nice. a thumb to Anthony Hopkins, a thumb to Jonathan Demme, a thumb to... The composer Howard Shore nice. and a thumb to Ted Levine. Oh, I thought you were gonna leave him out. Awesome. No, of course. <laughs> he, no, he's great. He's so good. Yeah. And I don't recognize him from other stuff. What else has he been in? 
Um, he seems so recognizable. I don't know. I don't know what else he's been. I I know I've seen him before. I've seen Catherine Martin in things in random things. I can't remember <laughs> exactly what, but like as an adult, it's like kind of weird. Oh, it's it's funny. I, I think. I mean, she's probably like. She's somewhere in her 40s now, but I, I know I've seen her randomly pop up. She's got one of those faces. Yeah. Yep. Oh, me? What did I think? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love this movie. I'm so glad you brought it to me because it had been such a long time since yeah. I saw it. And I misremembered things, um, none of which were the ending, unfortunately. Yeah. I wish I'd forgotten that because um, mm-hmm. it's so great, that surprise at the end. Uh, the music is great. The direction is great. Every single scene with Hannibal is amazing. Every single scene with uh, Ted Levine is amazing. Honestly, there are no boring parts in this no. movie. There's no part where I want to skip and go like, okay, well, mm-hmm. what happens next? Everything is great, and it's this long mystery that's being unraveled uh, from both ends as they meet in the middle. It's beautiful. Uh, so I'm also going to give this movie five thumbs. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> It's a great movie, uh, and I'm uh, going to award my thumbs. I'm going to give one to uh, I'm going to give one to Buffalo Bill for sure because he's mm. going to need one. Uh, I'm going to give one to Hannibal. Has complete his suit exactly. <laughs> he's going to need it to to sew up his suit. I'm going to give one to Hannibal Lecter so that he can properly squeeze out one Doctor Chilton's eyes. Mm. I'm going to give one to Clarice Jodie Foster because she is absolutely amazing. How many is that? Is that three so far? Yeah. Uh, I'll give one to Catherine because she was so great at the bottom of there. Her yeah. screams and just how good she is and her freaking ingenuity of getting the dog to go mm-hmm. down there. Like I don't think did the bucket ever end up working. It kind of looked like she just kind of coerce the dog to fall down on its own because the bucket thing didn't work and yeah i don't know it might have worked off screen we we never see it working so i I assume she tried again yeah i'm I'm still impressed that she thought of that yeah uh and then i'll give my final thumb to precious uh because uh she'll need that little dew claw i don't know i don't know why i feel like i have to explain why i'm giving them to people (laughs) i'm I'm giving out my thumbs she she gave a great performance too yeah yeah she really did she really did um so that's the story of silence of the lambs michael is there anywhere people can find you online where people uh, would want to follow up on your work or anything or on twitter or instagram well yeah hopefully hopefully they can follow up with my work soon um i let's see um i'm on twitter batches 789 we'll put that in the description um yeah so let's see yeah that's that's it for now um yeah hopefully yeah, hopefully i'll have some more updates uh next couple months awesome All right, well, without further ado, that is everything for us here on The Gory Days. Talk to you next time. Stay scary out there. The Gory Days.